All right, folks, welcome to the OFM podcast where metabolic health matters. I'm your host, Peter Defty, uh, general manager of Vespa Power Products and the, the guy behind developing the OFM program. And today we have on an athlete I've been working with for, se- for several years, uh, James Hughes, who's out of Virginia. He's in Virginia on the East Coast. He's 71 years strong and has a great story, a great OFM Vespa story, but also just a great story in general because this guy is super relatable to not only all you athletes out there, but the general population. So we're going to dive in with a, a podcast conversation to to augment his hero thing. If you see his hero thing and want to l- learn more, this is the place to have it because we're going to have a pretty in-depth co- conversation because James is a pharmacist by trade, been in the business for ongoing how many decades? Almost 30 years. 30 years as a pharmacist. So he's seen a lot um, a lot of change that we're going to be talking about in healthcare. And uh, we're going to have a whole, uh, an open, no, no holds barred um, conversation on, on what's going on, not just with his own journey, but with healthcare in general, uh, metabolic health uh, should be a good day. So, so James, welcome. Thank you. All right. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, as you pointed out, I'm a pharmacist. Um, I not only practice regular pharmacy, but I also like to do um, formulations and compounding and uh, uh, particularly like to get into um, stuff that's applicable to the endurance athlete. So you're a compound Uh, pharmacist as well as a general pharmacist? Correct, yes. Compounding pharmacist, formulator. Uh, have actually helped formulate a, a product that a lot of the Tour de France teams use. And, uh, you know, we've worked on things that most of my interest is things that will can be used as an adjunct in your training or just makes you better as an endurance athlete. But uh, what, one thing when you were in the intro talking about healthcare and how things are changed and how long I've been a pharmacist. So I went to the Medical College, Virginia, which is in Richmond, Virginia. And back in the early 70s, there was a pretty significant pharmaceutical company called A.H. Robbins um, that was right in Richmond. And one of the highlights of going to pharmacy school was you got to tour the facility. And it just was kind of overwhelming seeing the the research people that they had there and the things they were working on. But back in those days, they were looking for cures for disease. You know, and now that if you fast forward 30 years later, uh, A.H. Robbins has been bought out by Wyeth and Big Pharma. And now to work for a major pharmaceutical company, uh, your area of research is not directed toward cures. They're looking for customers. Uh, they want a drug that you'll that will manage your condition for the rest of your life. And uh, that kind of a lot of my colleagues in pharmacy and in medicine, it, it kind of is disturbing that we're not looking for cures. We're just looking for customers and we try to manage diseases and try instead of trying to eliminate. And that's been a a significant part of my journey because, you know, I was went to OFM because I wanted to manage metabolic syndrome. I wanted to cure it. And from Dr. Mark Cuchizella seminar, the only proven treatment that will eliminate metabolic syndrome is an OFM approach. And, and that and, and I'm living proof that 18 months later I've completely eliminated metabolic syndrome. So I just wanted to throw that in with about big pharma. 
Yeah, you're not the only person who said that to me. So it's it's interesting. Um, so okay, so let's um, let's talk about you as an athlete too. Yeah. So um, one one significant thing for me that kind of stumbled on uh, as I went through the OFM journey. When did, let's, I, let's, let's, let's let's back up a little bit more. When did you start? Okay. Being a regular athlete. So I, I, I did my very first triathlon in 1990. Uh, it was a sprint triathlon in a, a city about an hour away from me. Um, it, I'd never been exposed to swimming. Um, I'd ridden a bike some, but my background was a running background, you know. I wasn't tall enough to play basketball, so I got put on the cross-country team and learned that, hey, running is fun, which confuses a lot of people. But uh, from running to – and now the the discipline that I love more than of any of the three is the bike. Because I, when my friends play golf on the weekend, golf just makes me mad. I go on a three-hour bike ride. And <laughs> – and, and uh, you know, to 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 be able to enjoy uh, a three-hour bike ride is you have to be predominantly burning fat, not relying on sugars. So yeah, uh, but most most cyclists are relying on glucose and glycogen. Yeah, I know, and and I'm I'm trying to convince a lot of them and a lot of my buddies that uh, yeah. You wouldn't believe how much sugar you consume just during a race um, and how much better you can uh, do if you were burning fat. Uh, interesting point that you know, the scientists used to say that we have enough stored fat to do five full Ironmans back to back to back. And people said, yeah, that's kind of cool, but, you know, you can't prove it. Well, um, Jason Lester, who only has one arm, uh, a few years ago, he was, I can't remember the exact year, but he was uh, ESPN, ESPN's Athlete of the Year. But he did five full Ironmans on five consecutive days on five different Hawaiian islands. And he pretty much proved to the world that, yes, you can burn fat and be very successful. Um, and in my journey, you know, I, I was always bonking on the run, no matter what product I tried, no matter how precise I tried to dial in my nutrition, I just couldn't do it burning sugar. And once I converted to burning fat, uh, not only did I feel better, not only could I actually run the last piece of a triathlon, but I actually even started moving up in my place. So instead of a middle of the packer, I know that when I enter a race, if I execute my plan correctly, I have a shot at the podium. How and many that, how many Vespas do you take normally in a full Ironman and a half Ironman? Well, what what I do, you know, from the beginning of the race, I consume um, Vespa every ninety minutes. Um, the equivalent of uh, one pack of the C25. I use the uh, concentrate predominantly because it goes into my little mix that I carry with me. Um, and then I add, even add some C25 to get some liquid volume. But I'm consuming, I get, I would say probably one, uh, the equivalent of one concentrate every 90 minutes from start to finish. And that has been significant. Um, and what's what has that done in terms of reduce in terms of reduce your calories for race race level conditions? Is it like thirty percent, fifty percent of what you used to have to take in? Uh, I I have a, a mix that has some carbs in it, right. um, but I I try to maintain and and some people said this is crazy, but nine to ten grams an hour, and that's almost nothing. That's that um, is nothing. Yeah. Uh, I also use some UCAN, which I don't count those carbs because they're slow carbs. Um, but anything. Yeah, those, those are, they, they count. They just don't spike. Right. Yeah. They count. Yeah. So, so in other words, 
if you're using 10 grams an hour plus you can, you're probably 50% of what you used to use in triathlon. Oh, oh, easy. Probably, you know, more like 35 to 40%. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So big reduction. And, and no bonking. Yeah. And podiums. (laughs) Right. Yes. Uh, that makes that makes racing a lot more fun. Yeah, and what about what about how do you feel at the finish and the days after? Just just curious, what uh, that experience is like. Yeah, so you know, t- after what surprised me is after a, a full Ironman, the next day I'm not totally wiped out. I mean, yes, I'm sore, um, but you know, you're you're not just f- totally fatigued. Um, you know, your, your muscles are sore. They're not aching. Um, I, I remember for, you know, when I, first time I did a, 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 a full marathon, you know, I had to walk down the steps backwards because my quads were so trash. Uh, and you have none of that from the, you know, now when I'm not burning all this sugar and burning fat. And, you know, the Vespa significantly helps with the recovery process. But you just don't feel totally wiped out even after a really long race. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how I feel after this 40-mile trail run because there's some significant climbs in there. But uh, I still expect, you know, the, uh, a full Ironman, you know, I'm out there. 12 to 14 hours and for this i'm going to be out there the same amount of times so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out i think you'll really enjoy it i think you'll fall back in love with running it'll it'll kind of compete with the bike now because there's something about running on the trails that's just magical is even though you suffer it's still magical oh yeah i I mean i've i'm fortunate i live right beside shenandoah national park Oh, and wow. I've been all over those trails. Um, you know, I call it fast hiking. And now they're starting to be ultra races on the same trails that I used to, you know, run, walk, hike on when I was in high school and college. So, so it is getting out there in the wilderness, even if you're by yourself, it's just therapeutic. Absolutely. It's, it's huge. And I don't think that there's enough emphasis on humans getting back into the natural environment. I think we've ensconced ourselves in this man-made construct uh, and it's artificial and it's, it's not only clouding our decision-making, but it, I think it's frantic. And I think there's a lot of pinging of primitive fight or flight hardware, chronic pinging that's never was never meant to happen as a result of, 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 all these sort of tools we have to make our life better. It's like, I'm finding that tools are tools, right? They have a benefit, but they can also be used for unintended consequences. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's the same with pharmaceuticals, right? A lot of, there's a lot of good drugs um, and therapies have been developed, but you've got to use them prudently because almost all of them, unless they're natural, there's usually unintended consequences, right? Oh, yeah. And, and yeah, the mo- more that we use them, the more we learn. Um, yeah, I think about my dad who lived to be 93, and he was the first male Hughes to ever make it out of his 60s. Um, and there were medications uh, that had a huge impact on him. You know, number one was a statin. Um, but now we're finding out uh, that there's also some problems with the, the statins and some of the metabolic changes they have. Um, I'll talk, talk a little bit about my heart attack and my conversation I had with the cardiologist. So uh, two days let's, after- yeah, Let's talk about that because that's been an interesting ongoing conversation with us and your cardiologist. Right, yeah. So two days after Ironman Blue Ridge, Virginia, which was a terrible race for me and hindsight's always crystal clear. So I right. figured out why afterwards, but uh, I had a heart attack. Now, fortunately, 
being a pharmacist and every year I have to recertify, uh, I know the signs of a heart attack by heart. And um, the thing that was hugely significant in me having a complete, and I mean 100% complete recovery, is how fast I got treatment. Um, when the signs started, I told my daughter, take me to the hospital because in the time it would take the squad to get here, we could already be there. And within an hour of symptoms starting, uh, I was in the cath lab getting things fixed. So, um, but the, the uh, conversation I had with, I know I was going to, the doc was going to put me on a whole bunch of drugs. And I had to have you, okay, look, doc, you've got to explain me why we're doing this. Well, the first thing he says, I'm going to put you on a spat. And he smiled and he says, but not for cholesterol. He said, because there is scientific proof that in the first uh, several hours and days uh, after a myocardic event, the statin neutralizes some cytokines. That it's are, huge for inflammation reduction under yeah, those. Yeah, inflammation and things. Yeah. Uh, but I told him, I said, look, I don't want to be on this forever. I have spent, you know, four years now um, changing my particle size of my cholesterol from the uh, small particle to large particle. And a lot of the statins uh, predominantly lower your good, you know, the large particle size. Uh, if you want, I can do a quick run on D Dr. Uh, Cuchizella's uh, explanation as he used to talk about BBs and cotton balls. And uh, at, his, at his seminar, he said, I'll ask you two questions. If we took a plastic pipe and we ran BBs through it under pressure, how many hours would it take to shred the pipe? So question number two, same pipe, same pressure. If we run cotton balls through that pipe, how many years will it take to shred the inside of the pipe? Well, with your cholesterol, you have BBs and you have cotton balls, whether it's your LDL or your HDL. And your goal is if you can be get change half your BBs into cotton balls, they can't shred the inside of your pipe, meaning the inside of your vessels. So um, through OFM and you know, really... Uh, my training and watching what I ate and, and staying away from the carbs. Um, I changed my LDL cholesterol to 75% cotton balls or 75% large particles. Uh, on the HDL, I changed it to 50-50. Well, with the statins, they, and depending on which statin you, the doctor chooses, the, the degree of change uh, can be significant, but they predominantly lower your cotton balls. So if you have a high HDL and we knock, in my case where I'm 75%, if you knock down my LDL, but I'm lowering my cotton balls, you actually made me worse. Um, and the same with the HDL. So well, and there, and there, there's a whole host of side effects of, of long-term statin. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the brain has to have cholesterol to function. So, you know, you can't take it down too low. Uh, so, you know, we, we agreed uh, on the um, uh, statin that I would only take it in that period where the, you know, neutralizing the cytokines and reducing inflammation. So I had, I took it for three months, but um, then uh you fortunately sent me a very interesting study uh, done in Japan of over 2,000 participants uh, using a compound called natokinase. Now, the nice thing about the one thing that is you know, no room for argument is natokinase well, is a blood thinner. Uh, it it's a blood, I call I, I actually call it a blood viscosity regulator. Right. Because yeah, it, which is much a, which more is a better term. Yeah, it's much more subtle than say the blood the pharmaceutical blood thinners because like Coumadin, warfarin, it thins your blood. That's what it does. Yeah. 
Well, well, interesting. So after a heart attack, everybody will be put on Plavix or Clopidogrel. And yep. the mechanism of action of natokinase is very similar to Clopidogrel. So, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So the cardiologist, you know, right off when we have started. And the one thing that I wanted to match the dose in the study you showed me. Yep. Because um, that was a very low 12,000 FU dose, right? Which is a, yeah. quite a, yeah, it worked, works out to 594 milligrams. Yep. Um, so, um, we did, I duplicated that dose. So I was able to stop the clopidogrel. Um, and on the, the dose, that higher dose is the one that gives you the positive changes in the, your cholesterol. And what interests the cardiologist um, significantly is not only did it raise the HDL, but it raised the uh, large particle size, the cotton balls of the HDL. And he said with him, he's not used to working with athletes. Um, most of his patients walking to the bathroom is exercise. And he says, I have a huge challenge getting their HDL up. So if natokinase can do what this study says it'll do. Um, he says, I got about a dozen patients right now that I'm going to put it on. And well, good for I, your doctor because that's that's going against the, the narrative and the and the business model, right? Because there's no money I, in Nabokinase. Well, I, I I found out when uh, he agreed to allow me to do this 40 miler that his brother is a a big time ultra guy who does 100 mile races and multi day okay. races. So uh, I guess he's more used to dealing with crazy people that come to him with uh, some alternative therapies. But and then um, I guess we should get into the spike protein part. Well, let's 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 for before we do that, I want to also provide some more context and background. Now, you said that your blo your big block of training before the Ironman, you just were dragging and not feeling it, right? Yeah, it it was. I was, you know, I, I use Tridot, which um, really structures your training based on your data. Uh, so I was feeling like I was overtrained. But, you know, my, you know, with the training platform, it was accommodating for that. So I just felt stale. Um, my swims felt bad. You know, the bike was pretty consistent, but the runs, I just didn't have the, the sharpness there. And you weren't um, making, and you weren't making gains, right? The, no, the no, I was, I, I was maintaining, but usually you know, the, through the taper phase before a race, you start feeling like you got to hold back. And yeah. I was struggling to train, um, you know, not realizing that probably that was for, because of significant inflammation in my cardiac tissue and probably the beginning of uh, uh, platforming in one of my arteries. Oh, well, or worse, I just saw a study yesterday that came out out of Germany and it's behind a paywall. Um, but you know, as the data comes out there, it was showing the MRNA does some really, the term they use was funny things in the, in, in, the, to the inner wall of the, of the heart. Well, yeah, the, uh, the, one of the funny things is in males, it goes after predominantly their heart tissue in females it predominantly goes after their uterus, their reproductive uh, tissue. Yeah, and we're seeing, you know, you're seeing some really strange um, conditions that are baffling the doctors. Uh, I have one of the girls who works for me, one of my uh, go-to technicians, um, is probably going to have a hysterectomy because they can't figure out what's going on with her uterus. And, you know, she... Get her on the natokinase and serapentase. Yeah, and... and she, um, you know, like me, we had to, we were required to get our uh, COVID jabs to be able to work. Now, and, let's, let's, for the audience, remember when you said to me, you sent me an email, you want an OFM Vespa success story? Here it is. I had a heart attack and I was just picked up the phone and said, what was my first question? I said, 
first was, how old are you? And I told you, I said, no, what's your training age? And, I, and he said, and then you asked me, what's, what group, what age group is significantly affected by spike proteins um, in cardiac tissue? And I went, uh, I think it's, you know, 30 to 50-ish. And you said, no, now it's 20 to 50-ish. And I said, right. oh, great, right. my training age is 50 <laughs> Yeah, but remember, I also when I asked you if you got jabbed, you said that was my first thought. Mm -hmm. you yeah, I mean, I, I was saying, hey, you know, this shouldn't happen, and somebody as well trained and as metabolic efficient as I am, I said something's going on. And yeah. Now, did you were you were you already? I don't know. You know, I'm the guy with the tinfoil hat on, so. I'll wear the tinfoil hat, but were you already starting to see other people having cardiac events in large numbers? Oh, yeah. Um, okay. One of my son's best friend, who is only 30 years old, now has full-blown congestive heart failure. Um, you know, and he's a 30-year-old guy. And, you know, you're, you're, I mean, and even in the pharmacy, we're seeing people that are on medications that they're too young to be on now. And uh, you know, when you, you start seeing numbers like 35% of, or there's a 35% increase in cardiac problems, as the doc say, in that age group of 30 to 50. Yeah, and you, should, fit, you fit into that metabolically. Yeah, and uh, uh, so, yeah. You know, we're, we're seeing it in the pharmacy and it, it's scary to think that, you know, our big pharma is investigating mRNA. I won't call it a vaccine because it's, it's not. It's a immune system modulator. And yeah. they're looking at mRNA immune system modulators for other diseases. And I said, this stuff is crazy. You don't know what it does. And we're just now beginning to see what I think is the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I read in when it first started to hit the thing, I read a, quite a bit about it in the history and, and Caitlin Karingo's research. And it's fascinating. She should have won the Nobel prize for it, which she did, but for the wrong reasons. They said, Oh, it's so people can get vaccinated, but her work was stellar work. But, you know, I have a, I have insights with my friends and my former wife who were in PhD doing basic research. A lot of what happens in good basic research is you learn it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, what, one, one really interesting thing that happened by accident, if you look at the Scandinavian countries, um, they didn't, nobody under 50 got a shot not because they knew about side effects, but they just didn't have, they had a very limited supply of vaccine. So they gave it to the most vulnerable. Now yeah, looking what back. What I advocated for with my friend, Bruce, we have these discussions. Why don't we go for a targeted, a surgical approach for those who have risk reward, just like with statins. I, I think statins are overprescribed because there's other things you can do to, to get your metabolism working right so you don't have the cholesterol problem. But, but you know, if you're at imminent risk of a heart attack or just had a heart attack, like in your situation, you take a statin because it will save your life. Right. And the, and the, and the risk reward for short-term use of a statin is life-saving, right? It's the, right, that balance, but long-term, not so yeah. much. Ab yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, even now there's some new protocols like, they tell you if you think you're having a heart attack, chew up an aspirin. Now they're saying, and if you have a statin around the house, chew that up with it. Um, because, yeah. they, you know, in those beginning hours, it can be huge to your survival. That's right. That's right. That's right. But you don't need to be on them for 30 years. Right. Right. And, you know, but let's, yeah. So back to this mRNA stuff, it's, you know, it's an, it's an amazing concept but it it's it's not ready for it's not ready for prime time and and that was that's become that's becoming very obvious but it's also 
you know, it may not ever be ready for time, prime time. You know, we may just learn some 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 things that uh, yeah. there might be some other interesting insights we can get from it, but it may not ever be something because I think we're, you know, in, you know, this human, the human condition to try to dominate and control things. You know, I just as a biologist, I look at biology from the standpoint of a, a systems approach that like, you know, life life biology it really thrives in a, in a chaotic environment you know out of that chaos comes an order and we're supposed to understand and mimic it because everything in biology is different right every individual right. is different every pebble of sand every leaf every tree there's there's subtle differences we're all the same we're all different right but but nothing's exactly and and humans try to replicate and 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 make things precise and 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 we forget that you know in that quest for control and precision we we forget that sometimes you got to have some leeway yeah we're always looking for a quick fix yeah uh, yeah we want the quick fix we don't want the journey to get there <laughs> that's right that's right and just realigning our re realigning ourselves with those natural evolutionary pressures that shaped us as humans because we have robust health we just we just have kind of moved away with it with all these tools and conveniences, right? We don't, you know, we have cars, we have houses. We don't, you know, we don't have to, don't have to walk 10 miles a day or 20 miles a day. Right. Right. Yeah. But the, the one thing I was impressed is how much better I felt after starting the natokinase and then this, you know, the serapeptase. Uh, by getting you know neutralizing those spike proteins and getting all that junk and inflammation out of my system yep um you know i just felt so much better and you know again hindsight looking back with a partial blockage uh, you know I, I, the reason i was tired is i wasn't getting enough oxygen and blood pumped out to the places it needed to go so yeah, and you've made a you made a your doctor has said you've made a complete recovery, hundred percent. So um, I had a an initial echocardiogram that showed what the the cardiologist said. It's like a bruising of the heart. He said if somebody hits you in the really hard in the shoulder, it doesn't totally damage your shoulder. It just has a nice bruise, and eventually the bruise will go away. In your instance is your heart was significantly bruised and then when we did the repeat after you know taking all his drugs and then starting the natokinase when we did the repeat echocardiogram everything was a hundred percent back to normal he said you know i'm not going to say you're good he says it's excellent uh, your recovery have you ever seen? Had you ever seen that kind of level of recovery before? Uh, he said rarely. I mean, he's. You, I kept telling him, "You got to treat me like I'm a 56 year old guy, not a 71 year old guy." And he he said, "Well, you know, the changes are even better than 56 that you've had with that echocardiogram." And he said, "I listened to your heart." He says it sounds perfect. He says, there's no murmurs. There's nothing that leads me to believe that you haven't had a absolute 100% full recovery. And, you know, the scary thing is, had I not gone OFM several years ago, um, I probably wouldn't be here uh, with having this conversation. I would have been one of the huge statistics that <laughs> hardly made it out of their 60s yeah 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 this is a interesting thing because you know you you got on it when you found you were doing endurance sports and developing blood sugar control issues and like you said um earlier you know you get your glucose stable and consistent and um everything else seems to work right yeah i got a a real interesting um, graph that I saved from my CGM. So I did, um, I was doing a pre-rate rehearsal 
and I had to do an 80 mile ride and I had my nutrition absolutely dialed in. And so with, with me, I have a, a very set, 70 is the bottom, you can't change that. But my top level is 130, which is nothing. And I, that's my green that's line. Nothing, and I, that's nothing yeah. when you're doing athletics, yeah. Right, and I try to keep it, you know, I try to keep it as straight, flat as I can. And I mean, it, it's just this little wavy line right in between the green. Two weeks later, <laughs> ran out of Vespa and I ran out of one of my uh, strategic carbs that I use. Uh, and during that, my, I was all over the place. I mean, you could see when I took what I replaced my strategic cards with, uh, you could see it go up and then I go down and it go up and it go down. And the whole thing was I had the, just these brief moments where I was within the lines and, you know, it felt terrible. <laughs> and I said, and at parts of it, I feel pretty good. And then I'd feel bad. Then, you, you know, you could see it drawn out on a CGM. Well, here's where I felt good. It's nice and flat. You know, here's where I felt really good when it spiked up. And here's where I felt terrible when it crashed down. Um, so, so in other words, the CGM data corroborated how you felt. Okay, yeah, yeah. You, it, it was exactly. So the ride that was awesome, I was right in between the green lines the entire ride. The one that felt terrible. I was in it, out of it, <laughs> up, down, up, down, all over the place. And that's interesting because that's one of the things I say about Vespa and fat adaptation. It makes you blood sugar stable. Yeah. And so not only for the physical effort to supply the energy, but blood sugar stability is key for motor function, mental focus, um, and motor fine motor skills. Because you, you actually lose your focus and fine motor skills well before you sense the fatigue so right, before you yeah. sense that you you've lost that that what they call that edge and 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 that's a big big thing is keeping that blood sugar stable now the big thing here for the audience to understand is the reason james has it stable isn't because he's trying to manage his glucose he's trying to optimize his fat metabolism because the more you get that fat burning going the less your your glucose is going to fluctuate because um as you know as a pharmacist glucose is very tightly controlled um normal fasting blood sugar in a human amounts to one teaspoon of glucose as blood sugar in your cardiovascular system so it's very tightly controlled it can go up and down and this is this is why pacing your blood sugar is 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 sort of going to drive you insane yeah uh for sure, it, it's you know one one of the things that uh, a friend of mine who's a performer uh, really helped me. His take on Vespa, he says, you know, if you ever walked into a live performance, and as you walk in, there's this guy sitting at a soundboard, and it has these switches, knobs, you know, buttons, and everything. He said, with the right guy on the soundboard. Even you could sound good up there on stage, which I can't sing if I had to. And he said, you know, Vespa is the guy at the soundboard, flipping the right switches, pushing the right button, turning the right knob to keep that fat burning going. That's going to keep, you know, making us sound good or performing yeah, yeah. well. Keeping you nice and stable. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, that's great to hear. Um, and then, um, so you made a full recovery, um, and you're back to training. I take it. Yeah, training for so, the forty mile race, right? Yeah, I, I'm starting my training for uh, a forty mile. Uh, it, it's actually one of the most challenging forty miles on the East Coast. Uh, I'm going to do that end of March, so I'm about six months out. So I'm starting the training here. Any triathlons in between? Uh. No, part of the, you know, when I was cleared to start training, uh, a couple of the triathlons that I actually wanted to do were already full. Um, so, you know, I'm going to still probably swim one day a week. I, you know, I love getting out in the, on the bike, especially in the fall. 
Uh, so I'm going to do that one day a week and then I'll just see what happens. Um, you know, March is very early in the season. So there may be some opportunities to, to do a triathlon uh, later in the mid season. Uh, but also if I do well and really enjoy this 40 miler, there's another big race right in my area, the grindstone. And they Ooh. have, yeah, they, they have a hundred miler that I know the mountains, they go up, but they also have a hundred K, which is a 60 yeah. mile. And it bypasses one of the big climbs in the, in the hundred mile race. But, um, I may look to that, but they also have some shorter distances on some of the trails that I do anyway. So I may look at that. Um, that's in you know, you know, the, the JFK 50 mile is a good one. And that takes place right before Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. That that may be too close for you now, but maybe next year. And that's right across the river from Mark. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, and there's another 50 miler that's um, you know less than an hour away from my uh, area too that I might look into. Um, have to, I, I want to get the first one under my belt to see how I do then before I start picking uh, ultra races. Uh, okay, well we should talk about some some specific training OFM training to add into your training program. Uh, really help you get the bounce on that yeah the, you, you sent me uh, a nice um, uh, kind of format for a half iron man and uh, but that was prior to the heart attack i don't think my uh, head is, is into right now uh, doing another triathlon yet i want to yeah i don't know but i can send you some stuff for, yeah i just want to get want to do something different and Hey, who knows? Maybe I'll do a multi-day event. Oh, the the multi-day stage runs where it's not huge miles, like like you know uh, Jesse Haynes just won the Moab two forty. Mm -hmm. Saw that. Yeah, saw that. Yeah, and that's the second year in a row a Vespo FM athlete over fifty has won the won the event. Um, in the three out of the four years, it was all Vespo FM athletes. So, um but they've got all these stage races which out here in the west they've got there that's starting to grow to be a thing where you run sections with a partner and it's like 10 20 miles not huge distance over six days and that seems to be really a, a nice venue yeah yeah i could see that because i've done bike trips like that yeah are uh, a lot of fun you know yeah, you get a you definitely get a good workout in, but it's not like a race where you're just done by the end of the day for the next week, right? Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the the one thing about Vespa that's been so significant for me, and I've said this multiple times, is if I can keep my head in it, I can make my body do anything. And with you know the the, the focus and the concentration you have when you're burning fat as opposed to sugar um, uh, allows you to do, you know, extend because you're not just, you haven't lost the concentration and focus yeah. piece of it. Yeah. So let's also talk about the lifestyle, you know, other than it's that, that this lifestyle, the OFM lifestyle and Vespa's really gave you the robustness to, um be on top of your myocardial event but and recover fully from it but but what's it like for people because i think a lot of people have misconceptions you know they think it's a keto diet or a low carb diet and it's like you're tracking macros and you're counting calories and you're like staying away from certain foods i mean what would you have to say to that uh, 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 so now, now that you're like 18 months into it well, well, now I'm four years into oh, four it. Four years but, into it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I can tell you, you know, my wife kind of plays around with the, you know, the same thing as well. Uh, she's not an athlete, but she likes the way it makes her feel. And we typically on for Christmas and Thanksgiving, we just you go on carb overload, all that stuff that you, you know. Uh, 
that our yeah. traditional foods and thanksgiving never has been bad because it was just one meal but christmas we have a kind of a family breakfast a lunch and a dinner and um which has certain foods that you know are okay to enjoy occasionally but you don't want to live off of them well you know like christmas after christmas was all over that next morning when we woke up my wife looked at me and she says i feel terrible and i said yeah me too just think this is how we used to wake up every morning <laughs> <laughs> so so it you know it, it it isn't restrictive the nice thing about ofm once you become fat adapted there's wiggle room and like uh, you know dr mark Cuchizella said with it you know using the uh, cgm he says saw teeth are good humps are bad so you eat something you know is wrong uh, but you are out with friends you enjoy it you know it goes up in a point but your body now knows how to manage that sugar and it secretes enough insulin to bring it back down to baseline so you get this spike it goes up your body recognizes it comes down what's bad is when you eat something and it goes up pretty high but it's a hump and your body struggles to get it back down he says you know that's a food that you probably should avoid but it also means there's something that is causing your body not to recognize that and take care of it so when you learn those foods there's a lot of things that you think are bad for you that are not and some things that you think are good for you that are not um, but as you become more and more fat adapted you're not going to get you know even if you eat um, more carbs than you should your body is able to handle it and take care of it and bring you back to baseline really quickly yeah and that's what we call building metabolic capacity because when you build your metabolic capacity you're building your mitochondria which takes place on fat beta oxidation which is the true fat burning state right um and you're also improving your cell cell wall lipid bilayer which is the transit point in and out to get to the mitochondria those are the two most the two biggest points i mean every every organelle and organ and piece of of a cell the cytoplasm they're all vitally important but the two biggest things are that cell wall and um, because that's that's also a point of big inflammation uh, and then the mitochondria and when you build that metabolic capacity you get the metabolic flexibility you get the carb tolerance um, and you also stay somewhat sensitive to uh, insulin and the other thing is, is when the only way you can build a lot of mitochondria and big mitochondria is through fat metabolism. And, and one of the lead ups to that is oxygen. So developing your cardiovasculature, which is means getting the inflammation down, getting it fat burning, because you have to, you know, to burn fat in beta oxidation requires twice the oxygen per ATP as glucose. And this is, you know, one of the things when they talk about the Warburger effect in cancer, um, that it's it's aerobic glycolysis so as as the cells have less out capacity to less oxygen carry capacity to the cells you shift from more from beta oxidation to more glycolysis and then as you go to more glycolysis you just don't have the the potential and you have the demand for more glucose so it's like you really got to build that up and and exercise is one of the big levers you know bill and it's it's not just aerobic exercise it's aerobic exercise combined with tempo combined with intensity resistance because those are all huge signaling mechanisms to increase um aerobic capacity and metabolic capacity right yeah and it and it's been huge in my not only my training but my racing yeah so what would you say to athletes out there, whether they're cyclists, runners, triathletes, crossfitters? I mean, you, you've, you've got a particularly unique perch for being a pharmacist and being in healthcare and seeing what's going on in that realm. 
to being an athlete yourself and and having had this recent health event and the the one you had four years ago that got you on this journey well yeah one thing is don't all don't just rely on the drugs to fix the problem Go this is coming from a pharmacist folks yeah yeah i mean i make my living by selling you people drugs but you know don't rely on that as your first line of defense try to fix it you know I, I, you know, I see people that I went to high school with come in and the list of their drugs are like, oh, my gosh. And then my second, oh, my gosh, is that would be me if I hadn't have done this. So, you know, th they don't feel good. They don't look good. They don't have the energy and everything. And they're they're maintaining they're keeping alive through drugs. I'd rather you know, feel good, do all the stuff I want. You know, I, people look at me and says, 70 years old and you're doing full Ironman? I said, yeah, now I'm going to do a 40-mile trail run. It's good. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you take the drugs when you have to to manage an acute condition. You don't want to use the drugs to manage a chronic condition. Well, and this, that's goes what, to, this goes to another point we probably should stress because you said like you say people look to the drugs for convenience and treat the 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 symptom that's in front of them and a lot of times the drug is treating a symptom and nobody's getting to the root cause right yeah right and 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 that's a that's a change from the way medicine used to be to the way medicine is now um it is you know it's we're not looking for cures anymore we're looking yeah. for customers yeah, and I think this is something important for the audience to recognize. It's what you don't see you need to be worried about and focusing on because, you know, I do those deep dives and it's like that's why I lose people because it's the stuff they don't see and feel up front, right? But it's it's at that root cause and it's like as soon as somebody's out of pain or they stop bonking, they forget about it till the next bonk, right? <laughs> or, yeah, or for sure. got an ache or something and then then – like in the terms of pharmaceuticals, a lot of times you take a statin, well, it gets your cholesterol where it's supposed to, quote unquote, supposed to be, which I'll argue, I won't go into, but I, I would argue that. But then all of a sudden you develop high insulin and diabetes, right? Or, right, muscle, yeah. or muscle aches or a whole host of things. So you really got to go to that unseen thing. I mean, use the drugs if you're in an acute situation to get you out of that hole. And that's where they're, that's where they're a miracle. Modern medicine oh, really yeah. is a miracle for acute situations. I mean, there's some infections that, you know, antibiotics are, you know, are a total cure for. And some of them aren't even around. And you, you look at, you know, when there is a true need, yes, go with your doctor. But for these long-term chronic things, don't always look for a drug as your first line of defense. Yeah, yeah, and like you said about metabolism, and if your blood sugar is stable, everything else seems to work just fine, right? Yeah, and like um, one of the uh, tests that the cardiologist agreed to do is did a fasting insulin on me. It was two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Remember, yeah. I told you to get that. Yeah, yeah, you know, a guy my age isn't supposed to have that kind of fasting insulin. You know, I'm supposed to be insulin resistant and, you know. Well, four years ago you were. Yeah, I was. I know. Four years ago, uh, I would have been afraid to look at what my fasting insulin was. And, you know, I, I get reminded almost daily when my buddies come in to the what I would be on had I not gone this route. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you're 71 and still doing these big endurance events and don't plan to stop. Right. It's still fun. Right. Right. Yeah. So my kids got me a T-shirt. It says growing older, but not up. Yeah. So, I, so as long as I haven't grown up, I'm going to keep doing these things. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's great. Well, James, thanks for sharing your story. Uh, any other last words for people out there? Well, uh, one thing going back to the um, 
the shot and the spike proteins. You know, fortunately, there are compounds that can neutralize those spike proteins. Uh, you're, you're far better if you're concerned about COVID, get a, use your natural immunity. Most every one of us now have some degree of it. But, um, you know, using the natokinase, not only is, do they degrade the spike proteins, it's going to make you feel better, help your cholesterol better, and keep your b blood thin enough that you don't have to worry so much. And, you know, the serapeptase directly um, uh, neutralizes those uh, spike proteins. Yeah. So yeah. If, you've, if you've had the shot and you've had a couple boosters, get some, you know, talk to uh, Peter and get some of those things cleared out of your body and you'll feel better like I do. Yeah, and here's the thing for everybody out there. It doesn't matter whether you're getting spike protein generation from COVID or from these therapies. Um, what's happening is you're getting a huge internal in inflammatory response. And, you know, what I, what I learned early on and took a lot of grief for was when, when as soon as they, they had the, the code out, um, they sequenced the gene or released the sequence. I think they may have already kind of known it, but, um, I looked at the sequence and, and all that and looked at the primary literature and said, oh, okay. This is a run-of-the-mill, it's kind of a middle-of-the-road coronavirus. Um, but what made it so deadly was the furin cleavage site, um, which made it really transmissible. So even though it wasn't that lethal compared to SARS-1 or MERS, it was way exponentially more transmissible. So it was just a numbers game in terms of more people would get it, which means more people would, would have serious outcomes or succumb to it. And to a point, um, and please give your thoughts as a pharmacist, but um, the point, when you looked at the data early on throughout the whole panic, what I call the panic-demic, up to the rollout of the vaccines, um, from that initial January, February 2020 through the end of the year, the people that were having bad outcomes were just metabolically unfit. Multiple comorbidities, hyperinsulinemia was a death, it was literally a death sentence. Um, because you know, it really allowed the virus to replicate because viruses, re viral replication is glycolytic. So, if your cells are primed to burn fat, it's just not as hospitable as, as uh, a cell that's primed to burn sugar. So, the people that were dying, dying, and getting serious outcomes were people that just weren't metabolically fit. So it was really, you know, the COVID was really what pushed these people over the edge. They were sitting on the precipice and getting ready. So that's my thing. So yeah. And that's what I've seen. I've had one close friend that actually died from COVID, but he was a heavy smoker, you know, metabolically, he was a mess. Yep. Um, and uh, unfortunately, he was more like the typical 70-year-old person, and he just got overwhelmed uh, yep. from it. Yeah, but with the, with and so the mRNA therapies that are out there are just bringing, you know, they're, they're the whole, the idea, the concept was by generating spike protein, you generate an immune response, but it it was supposed to be localized in the arm and it got, it kind of got out of hand. Right. And you're one of those people because of your metabolic fitness. You're one of, if you were, a, if you were a 70 year old guy, a typical guy, you probably wouldn't have had that from the, the, the spike protein because you, yeah. you're, you're, you know, suppressed. So you probably wouldn't have generated that. <laughs> probably very much true. But you die of something else. Like yeah. COVID. Well, uh, that's right. Uh, you know, hope, hope, I just uh, spoke to um, one of my Boy Scout leaders who um, just turned 102, sharp as a tack. And I says, now that's, I want to get to, you know, that, to that point and you know, go out in style. There you go. There you go. So you're going to, and for right now, though, you're going to keep going out and, crushing it in life with 
on the bike, on the run and swim. Correct. Yeah. So as long as it's fun and you know, now I got a new area of fun to try. Let's see what ultras can, where that can take. Oh God. <laughs> Welcome to the dark side. Yeah, for sure. So, well, you'll keep your cardiologist entertained between his brother and you. Mm -hmm. And he said now he has two crazy people to take care of. Well, okay. Well, James, thanks very much. Um, and uh, keep us posted. Okay. Thanks a lot.